Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Miko. <laughs> and we're talking about music history. Woo! <laughs> uh, I, I never know how to... Because s- it feels weird to just be like that bland intro straight into Mika's the host now. But like I don't know what else to say before it. I don't know. All right. Well, I today we're talking about like rock music again so stick with us through Mika's segment and then Listen, you'll get to hear about we're that losing anyone we're not going to lose them on my segment actually <laughs> i do get kind of rambly so maybe we would um hey what's up mika is a host now Woo. i don't know i don't know what i want to plug besides you because you're the best husband ever and it's valentine's day and i love you <laughs> very much thank you I love you. This is your segment. You got to have something. Yeah, but you, you're amazing. That's not good Everyone enough. Everyone can go to nicholaspoe.com and see all the amazing things that Nick works on that's not this podcast. You would think this is enough, but he works on everything else. He's amazing. Well, we don't record that often, so it's kind of easy to keep up with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to plug therapy and <laughs> introspection and friends praying for you <laughs> and nieces and nieces niece three-year-old nieces are the sweetest things in the whole wide world um i also would like to plug siate london makeup because every single thing that i get from them i really enjoy and i have two eyeshadow palettes from them and it is the easiest ever to use so if you like makeup or a person you know likes makeup, I highly recommend that. Um, you kind of plug charcuterie boards? Dude, <laughs> I'm going to plug Micah because my friend, I asked her for recommendations of cheese that I should buy, like a cheese and a meat so that we could have like a little mini charcuterie board. And this girl started designing a whole board and I was like, Micah, I can't really pay you for that right now. And she said, no, I want to do it. And so she brought over today the most beautiful little two-person charcuterie board that we cannot wait to dig into. Get you a friend like Micah. Micah is the best. Get you someone whose love language is charcuterie boards. Honestly, though, (laughs) man, it's a good thing she loves to, to bless people or I would feel... Like, I just majorly take advantage of her, but I don't. She just <laughs> loves it. Yep. Oh, I love you, Micah. I don't think she listens to this. She doesn't. <laughs> just putting it out into the universe. Yeah. I just need to tell everyone how amazing my friend is. All I right. think that's it. That's it? Mika's no so. longer the host now? Mika's no longer the host now. That's all. That's what I have to say. Okay. So follow us on social media. Twitter.com slash sound of history underscore Facebook.com slash sound of history, but mostly Twitter because we don't do much on Facebook. Give yeah. us give us reviews, give us stuff, let us like let us know. Talk to me about your day <laughs> on Twitter. Like just at me and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing today. And then I will be so excited for you. <laughs> or or not excited if it's a bad day, but I she will, will be gas con- you up. I will. She will have a contextually appropriate response. Yeah. <laughs> just, okay. just tell me what's happening in your day. And also let us know stuff we got. Well, I guess me. I got wrong in writing these episodes because I feel like we don't do correction corners that much. And I'm sure I've been wrong about plenty. So if you hear something and you're like, oh, that's not right. Let us know so we can correct it. 
All right. I'm perfect. <laughs> Other than saying that someone was dead who is not dead and that it's okay to talk bad about him because he's dead. Listen, I don't badmouth <laughs> a lot of people. Just that guy? Just Pat Boone? Just Pat Boone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready for music history now? I'm totally ready for music history. Okay. Well, do you remember what we talked about last time? Rock and roll. Yeah. Do you remember anything about that? No. <laughs> but I, I'm not thinking very hard right now. I'm trying. To, yeah. I mean, I can't really remember exactly what we talked about. I mean, we talked about a few of the big players, like Bo Diddley. We touched on him did a little we bit. Li- we listened to Elvis. We did. Towards, uh, I don't know if that was towards the end. It might be towards the end. And I didn't realize that Elvis was, like, cute. Which, of course, but, like... Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Elvis kind of opened the doors for a lot of the African-American musicians who are like the real innovators and stars of this genre to kind of like push through into it's like the 50s. The golden age of early rock and roll is when a lot of people were just taken off. So today, today we're going to be talking about one of the big innovators of rock and roll. Although there were plenty during this period, this guy is widely considered the most influential out of all of them. And at the end of this, we're going to see if you agree with that. Okay. To see if he he earns the crown or not. So today we're talking about Chuck Berry. Yeah! I'm, oh yeah! I'm assuming you don't really know anything about Chuck Berry beyond what we've like already talked about a little bit. No, I don't know about his life. You know at least one song. I do. Well, we're going to hear... I don't know if we play that song, but we play the one it's based on. We play, yeah, you played that last week. Yeah, I think we play it again, probably. Charles Edward Berry was born in St. Louis in 1926. He was born into a large family, but his parents, despite being the grandchildren of slaves, were actually pretty successful. His father was a renowned carpenter and a deacon at the local Baptist church. His mother was one of the first African-American women to get a college education, and she was a high school principal. That's cool. That's really cool. They lived in a part of North St. Louis that was known as a middle-class area. This upbringing allowed Chuck to explore his musical interests from an early age. Because he didn't have to work as much, and his parents could afford to maybe buy lessons in instruments and stuff. Nice. He was always a pretty good student, but he loved music the most. Nat King Cole was his idol, and he tried to copy his smooth style of singing. A good style to copy. Didn't we all? But he also really loved the blues. While in high school, Chuck entered the school's talent show and played a rendition of a blues song. At that time, blues wasn't widely played and was considered inappropriate for like a high school setting or middle school. I don't remember what this was. What a rebel. Um, But Chuck received thunderous applause for his performance. That's what gave him the bug to be on stage and to keep performing. After that, he started to take guitar lessons because he was inspired by his partner in the school talent show who played the guitar. So he saw the way that guy did it, and he was like, all right, I want to do that. That looks fun. Cool. So I just started to take lessons. I like it. I also feel like he's one of the few that we've talked about who like actually had lessons. <laughs> like Most of everyone else is like, just doing a few lessons or just like learning on their own. But also around this time, Chuck started to lose interest in school and became a bit of a troublemaker. Of course. At 17, he and a few friends dropped out of school and started an impromptu road trip to California. In Kansas City, they found an abandoned pistol 
and, as one does, decided to go on a robbing spree. Uh, <laughs> uh. They robbed a bakery, a clothing store, a barber shop, and stole a car before being caught and arrested. Yeah, just kids having fun. Just just dudes hanging out, you know. It happens. Uh, it's a typical bachelor party, really. Uh, uh. <laughs> they were sentenced to a maximum 10 years in prison. Are you serious? Yeah. But, I mean, that's like maximum. Like, they could get out early. Chuck only served three years in a reformatory in Missouri before being released for good behavior. And he was how old? Uh, he was 17 when he got arrested. So now he's about 20. Lucky that he was 17, yeah, I, guess. I guess. Holy cow. Um, while in jail, he formed a singing quartet that got so good they were allowed to perform outside of the jail on occasion. That's cute. Yeah. After getting out, Chuck returned to St. Louis and worked for his dad while doing photography and janitor work on the side. And his dad was like, as you'll remember, I'm sure, was a renowned carpenter. So he was doing carpentry stuff. I had already forgotten. You are quite right. In 1948, he got married, and in 1950, he had his first child. To sustain his family, he worked many different jobs around St. Louis and started to work with bands in the club scene for a little extra income at night. Chuck started to play with Johnny Johnson's Trio, which became a longtime partnership, and they played a wide variety of music. Chuck learned that the African-American audiences liked hearing a lot of different things, but what they seemed to like the most was seeing a black guy play white hillbilly music. What? He said, quote, Curiosity provoked me to lay out a, a lot of our country stuff on our predominantly black audience, and some of our black audience began whispering, Who is that black hillbilly at the Cosmo? After they laughed at me a few times, they began requesting the hillbilly stuff and enjoyed dancing to it. Okay. <laughs> Guess it's got a good groove or something. I don't know. And as you'll remember, I'm sure I'm sure this stuck in your mind from last episode. A lot of people call rock and roll just country and blues mixed together. Like that's how they classify it. Huh. So he's getting like a the early taste of it here. Interesting. Chuck's songs, sung in the style of Nat King Cole, but set to the music of Muddy Waters, started to get a lot of attention and even drew audiences from the white community. He started to develop a stage presence and a unique sound. But he wasn't content with staying in St. Louis. By the middle of the 1950s, he was taking trips to Chicago in search of a record deal. Do you remember Muddy Waters? No. <laughs> He's the the big blues guy who was like the most influential blues artist who was in Chicago with chess records. And he influenced a whole bunch of like, he influenced like the Beatles oh, and the Rolling the Stones. Chicago blues. Yeah. Okay. I remember yeah, he was, Chicago he was blues. the big Chicago blues guy. On one of these trips to Chicago, Chuck happened to go to a club where his idol, Muddy Waters was performing and got the chance to speak with Muddy for a few minutes. Muddy encouraged him to go to Chess Records if he was serious about wanting to record. So Chuck did. Chuck went to Chess, and the label president named Leonard Chess, who we talked about, but I don't think you remember him, no. um, said he'd be willing to listen to some demo tapes. Unfortunately, Chuck didn't have any demo tapes. Mm -hmm. So he drove home to St. Louis, recorded a few tapes, and then drove back to Chicago later that week to show the tapes to Leonard. Cool. 
Leonard liked one song specifically and quickly scheduled time to record it. At the time, it was called Ida Red, but the name changed to Maybelline during recording. Although it didn't chart super well, it proved to be one of the most important and influential songs in rock history. Hey, why? Why? <laughs> well, why? here's Maybelline. It's just a very early song that broke him, and everyone was like, oh, this sounds cool, because it's a little bit different. That sounds like a weird Sounds like a character in the British television Alright, let's Maybelline. It kind of was a little bit of a new style because it was that blues mixed with a little bit of country influence and kind of like a hard driving back rhythm. That's where Very it's, hard. It's a rock and roll. The song was one of the first with cross-appeal by an African-American artist. It couldn't be easily replicated by a white singer, due in large part to the guitar solo in the middle of it. And it appealed to white audiences and fans of hillbilly music, as well as the tradi- like more traditional blues artists. Alan Freed, who is the radio DJ who helped launch rock and roll. Do you remember him? Yeah. He's the guy who coined the name. Yeah. Or at least applied it to music for the first time. Yeah. Uh, Alan Freed was given writing credits in exchange for playing it, so that helped spread it in wide audiences as well. Freed also made sure to book Chuck for a lot of the shows he put on, and made sure Chuck was or made sure Chuck appeared in movies in Hollywood. Wow! Yeah, like Hollywood would basically just ask Alan Freed to be in a few different movies, and then he'd like bring Chuck along as well. Almost overnight, Chuck Berry went from a nobody in St. Louis to a national superstar, making tons of money and being at the forefront of the most explosive new genre of music. From that one song? That's yeah. Wild. Well, from that and then the playing it on the radio right. and being in movies and yeah. But, but basically like that they song. they picked him up on the radio because of that one song. Yeah. Like that's wild. That, I mean, that happened a lot. Like that happened with Jerry Lee Lewis too. Like he had one song called A Whole Lot of Shaking going on that just like exploded and then all of a sudden he was everywhere for a bit. I mean, I guess we have Olivia right now, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that song is crazy. Like, Can you imagine being the guy that that's about? And it's like everywhere just because he didn't want to date a 16-year-old and wanted to date someone his age. <laughs> now he has this record-breaking song out about him. I I feel like it was planned. It might have been. I think it was planned because then Sabrina had hers. I don't know. I don't actually care. Yeah, I so don't care either. I just thought it was interesting. I haven't, like, but that's that's the vibe that I'm getting. I just think it's funny that like all these because I'm sure there's a lot of young people who just hate that guy now just because he's like 21 and didn't want to date a 16 year old. (laughs) It's a reasonable thing. It is. It is. All right. Well, anyway, back to Chuck. The partnership uh, between Chuck and Chess Records proved to be very fruitful for Chess as well. Through Chuck, they moved into the mainstream instead of just being a label for R&B artists and fans. Chuck released another hit song called Roll Over Beethoven, 
and started to tour all across the country with some of the biggest acts of this new genre. People like Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers, white artists playing to probably predominantly white crowds. I yeah. still can't get over like rollover Beethoven. <laughs> like uh, the sass. Yeah, well we're about to the listen disrespect. To it. I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so he had clear country music influences with the R and B sound, so he was a good person to kinda like put on these tours with the white artist and like kinda get that appeal too. So here's Rollover Beethoven performed live. This is a in, I don't know when. about a man who had a lot to do with music. As a matter of fact, uh, a relished memory in my mind he was. And a good musician, might I say so. Uh, this man was uh, named Beethoven. He was named Beethoven. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask him to forgive us. Roll over and listen to a little of this. the best quality recording probably couldn't hear the song as well but i figured you'd like seeing him play yeah so i did the live one instead the intro is just like (laughs) throughout the late 1950s chuck continued to release songs that broke into the top of the pop charts and saw massive success with everyone his storytelling that appealed to the youth culture mixed with his classic african-american r&b sound was a massive draw that was a huge thing with country music that i don't know that we touched on all that well like how it's basically storytelling. Like you're, these country music stars are like telling a story about a person and what they're doing, and mm-hmm. so like he kind of took that and then put it with a that harder driving R and B sound. Talking about his success, Chuck said, "Quote: I made records for people who would buy them. No color, no ethnic, no political. I don't want that. Never did." All right. End quote. Almost all of the songs he released became instant classics in the genre. Chuck was in massive demand, touring everywhere, getting spots in movies, playing with the biggest names of the day. He was just a massive artist at this point. That's so cool. I love it. <laughs> and Chuck was smart. He knew what to do. He knew what to do with the money that started to pour in. He invested heavily in St. Louis real estate and even opened a multiracial nightclub called the Club Bandstand, which was a move that really annoyed some of the St. Louis locals. That's so great. (laughs) I'm so excited. In 1958, his performance at the Newport Jazz Festival was captured in a movie called Jazz on a Summer's Day and boosted his draw even more. 
You want to see that performance? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, here it is. the tune of the song. I never realized how much that was yeah. Or like rewritten. Oh, look at him dance. <laughs> look at him go. Elvis who? That was Chuck playing Sweet Little Sixteen at the Newport Jazz Festival. Love. The song, called Sweet Little Sixteen, is perhaps better remembered because the Beach Boys rewrote it into Surf in USA. I had to... That's the song that I had to listen to over and over and over and over and over again at my job at the arcade in Clearwater. Oh, Surf in USA? Yes, because it was on like the, the game that was right next to the uh, prize station and so yeah. i listened to that all <laughs> day it's a good song for a lot of time both of them are good songs. it reminded me of you oh but then it got annoying <laughs> <laughs> but then in 1959 chuck's prolific high profile career came to an abrupt stop what happened the St. Louis locals that he pissed off found out about a woman named Janice Escalante. It's always a woman. Yep. Well, or a man. Chuck met her in Mexico when she was a 14-year-old waitress. Mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. He hired her to work in his club and brought her to St. Louis to be a hat check girl. But when he fired her after a couple of weeks, she set up shop as a prostitute in the city. Okay. So Chuck was arrested under the Man Act, which is transporting a minor across state lines for immoral purposes. It's kind of complicated. Was, was I don't he know. involved in her decision to uh, find that line of work? I don't know, but I mean at the same, like he brought a 14-year-old across state lines to work in a nightclub. A little sus. So, yeah, like it's not, it's not good any way you look at it. But Chuck was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison. That's this dude. Chuck argued that the judge used racial comments and biases that turned the jury against him. I'm sure he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Through appeals, his sentence was reduced to three years, of which of which he served about 20 months before being released. Okay. The trial is still sometimes seen as an example of racial prejudice, since rockers of this area were known to date teenagers quite often. Like, See... Elvis did it. Jerry Lee Lewis did it. Like and a, they didn't get arrested. Well, they didn't get arrested. Jerry Lee basically ended his career because he married his 13-year-old cousin. So, <laughs> but Elvis kind of did it on the down low. So, like, he just, they didn't get married until she was, like, 20, but she was living here since she was, like, 15 or 16. Man, it's crazy that um, 
we hear these stories and it's like, wow, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Drake. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> he was imprisoned from 1962 through 1963. Before his imprisonment, during his trial, he continued to record and release music, but his output started to slow as his popularity waned. His last record before going into prison was called Come On. Here is that song. Everything is wrong since me and my baby parted. All day long I'm walking cause I couldn't get my car started. Laid off from my job and I can't afford to check it. I wish somebody'd come along and run into it and wreck it. Come on. Since my baby parted, come on. I can't get started, come on. I wish somebody'd come along and run into it and wreck it. Everything is wrong since I've been without you. Every night I lay awake thinking about you. Every time the phone rings, sounds like thunder. Some stupid jerk trying to reach another number. Come on. Since I've been without you, come on. I love that, and I'm adding it to like my Spotify right now. That was his last song before going to jail. I, un- but, I understand the frustration. <laughs> but also, like, his popularity was also on the decline at this point just because they all were, like, all of those classic era rockers by the late 50s started to sound a little old school and old-fashioned. And, like, by the early 60s, it was all about the British invasion and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. and Yeah. So, like, they were starting to get a little, little old news. Like, him and Little Richard and Bo Diddley and all those guys were having a hard time. Chuck came out of his second stint in jail a changed man. His friend and partner, I said that happy, but it was actually kind of sad. His friend and partner on a British tour said, quote, never saw a man so changed. He had been an easygoing guy before, the kind of guy who'd jam in dressing rooms, sit and swap licks and jokes. In England, he was cold, real distant, and bitter. It wasn't just jail. It was those years of one-nighters. Grinding it out like that can kill a man, but I figure it was mostly jail. End quote. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Nevertheless, his return to music was made incredibly easy thanks to the British invasion. Basically, a bunch of artists that he had a massive hand in influencing were exploding. People like the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and the Rolling Stones. They released cover versions of his songs and kept his music alive for a new generation. Instead of being reduced to the has-been circuit, his music was the focal point of the new sound sweeping America. So he was That's able to really pick cool. up where he left off and make a few more hits. That's like really, really awesome. Yeah, it's very fortunate. One of the most notable songs of this era was a song called Nadine. Do you want to hear Nadine? I want to hear Nadine. Here's Nadine. As I got on a city bus and found a vacant seat, I thought I saw my future bride walking up the street. I shouted to the driver, hey conductor, you must slow down. I think I see a please let me off the bus. Do. We already know that. It's been established. 
All right. Well, that's Nadine. Let's look at the lyrics and see. Is it in the chorus? Yeah. The, well, there's nothing. Nadine, honey, is that you? Oh, no, Dean. Oh, Nadine, honey, is that you? Seems like every time I see you, darling, you got something else to do. Okay. Must be in my head. <laughs> now I want to know what you thought. Yeah, I don't see anything like super inappropriate in that. Okay, 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 okay. All right, well, Mika has a dirty mind. That hey. is officially canon of this podcast now. Mm. <laughs> All right, well, that was Nadine. Between 1966 and 1969, he released five albums, including a live album where he was backed by the Steve Miller Band with a new label called Mercury. Do you know the Steve Miller Band? I know Mercury. Mercury Records? Yeah. Do you know the Steve Miller Band? I don't know. Is it, They did that. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. Oh, I'm a midnight okay. toker. That one. Toker? Yeah. My favorite word. <laughs> These... Uh, albums that he released in this period weren't successful and he returned to Chess Records in 1970. With the rise of the hippie movement, Chuck managed or Chuck changed his sound and tried to stay relevant. He became somewhat of a staple on the festival circuit and slowed down his music to make it more blues and less rock. I don't know if I'm going to like that quite as much. No, probably not. I don't think anyone really did. In 1973, Chess released a live version of a song called My Dingling which was Chuck's last ever hit and first ever number one. It was also the first Chuck Berry song that I ever heard. That one also sounds inappropriate. It is. It is? Here is my dingling. It's meant to be in the end. We got to do our alma mater. We must do our alma mater. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling-o. Oh. Ding-a-ling! And then mama took me Get to Get your grammar tongue back school. inside your mouth, young lady. But I stopped off in the vestibule Every time that bell would ring Catch me playing with my ding-a-ling-a-ling-o Maybe, I don't remember. Where sure I heard you know what I heard? I heard, I hear two girls over here singing in harmony. That's all right, honey. This is a free country. Live like you want to live, baby. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to knock it, darling. Mm-mm. Yeah, freedom. Yes, sir. There's one guy right over here singing mine, too. That's all right, brother. Yes, sir. You got a right, baby. Ain't nobody going to bother you. Once I was climbing the garden wall, I slipped and had a terrible fall. I fell so hard I heard bells ring, but held on to my dingling. That's my dingling. Oh, amazing. <laughs> First song I ever knew by Chuck Berry. 
I my life is enriched. <laughs> that was just a wonderful experience. That Everyone's having a great time. It's that's it's. I was very surprised to learn that that was his first ever number one song, and it was like in seventy three. The rest of the 70s, Chuck thrived off the success of his old hits. He toured on every oldie show that was given to him. But he might have got a little too cocky about it. He started touring with only his guitar, confident that he could find a band that knew his songs no matter what city oh he went God. to. And I mean, like, he was right. He could. But that they weren't annoying. very good. Yeah, The bands weren't very good. So this habit of playing with unrehearsed, not good bands tarnished his reputation with younger audiences who might have been seeing him for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I was like, there's a weird like break in the paragraph of the script and I was very confused why I put this sentence. <laughs> Said he was also paid in cash for these performances. I was like, why does that matter? But then you go down, which played a hand in sending him back to jail for the third time in 1979 for federal tax evasion. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. In 1970, or 1979 was also the last time he released an album called Rocket for 38 years until he released a new one in 2017. He did? Yep. What did he release in 2017? A new album of brand new music. <laughs> we'll what? get there. Still traveling solo and using local backing bands, Chuck continued to play 70 to 100 nights a year in the 80s. He continued touring the oldie circuits without putting out any new music. He was sued by his former piano player who claimed he co-wrote something like 50 songs, but the case was dismissed because the judge said too much time had passed. Which seems unfair because, I mean, like, he's still earning money from those songs, so feel I don't know. Mm. It's weird. At the age of 90, Chuck announced his first new release since 1979. I was going to say, wasn't he born in like 26? <laughs> yep, he was 90 years old. But he wouldn't live to see the release. Oh. He passed away from a cardiac arrest on March 18th, 2017. His last album was released in June of 2017 and reached number 49 in the charts. Here's a song from that album called Wonderful Woman. I'm really excited well, to do this. Well, now, this song. just yeah. makes my day. There's a wonderful woman what? <laughs> just walked by my way. Well, I was what? in that tomb red like a leaf on a willow tree. Hoping the great big beautiful eyes would fall on me. I wish from thinking, but I hope that it's Pretty good for a 90 year old. Song from his 2017 album. 
I literally cannot wait to dig into some Chuck Berry stuff. He's good. I'm. I'm. I almost very, bought very one excited. of his greatest hits finals, but then didn't because it was like twenty five bucks. Oh, um, what? No, <laughs> it's worth it. That was my next question. Yeah. Is, do we have any Chuck Berry vinyl? We don't. I want. I've wanted some for a while, but that sounds like a good use of twenty five dollars <laughs> to me. Chuck Berry was the epitome of rock and roll and did more than perhaps any other artist to steer the ship of the new genre in the direction it wound up going. His music paved the way for so many artists, but his personal life was filled with trouble, which probably also set the prototype for the rockers that would follow him. Yikes. Other than his continuous run-ins with the law and his various stints in jail, which we have talked about, in 1987 he was accused of assaulting a woman in a New York City hotel but he pled guilty to a lesser charge of harassment and only had to pay a fine. In 1990, he was sued by several women who claimed he installed a camera in the bathroom of the restaurant he owned. Oh, no. Though Chuck said the camera was to catch a co-worker who was stealing from the restaurant. I, uh, don't tell me these things <laughs> because, like, I, I love his music. I'm so excited. I Yeah. Ugh, can't we just have an unproblematic rock star? He uh, settled out of court on that one, so we don't really know what happened. But there were 59 women involved in the suit. No. Well, it was probably just every woman who worked for the restaurant over a course of years. So, like, mm. every waitress who had ever worked at that restaurant was involved, whether or not they even, like, knew about it or knew anything about it. It was kind of like if you have an iPhone and there's an issue with it, you get a settlement even though you have, you don't know or care what happened. So it's estimated that it cost him about $1.2 million plus legal fees, which prompted his lawyers to claim that he was being targeted because of his wealth. Also in the 90s, I think, Chuck's home was raided by the police, and reportedly they found a marijuana in intimate videos of women. Uh, well... Yeah. Okay, <laughs> if they're consenting, leave the man alone. Yeah. Damn! He was charged with drug possession for that one. Of course he was. Yeah. Chuck Berry, despite his offstage antics and troubles, pioneered rock and roll. Hold on. I just need to revisit. I'm sorry. This is the 90s. Yeah. How many other famous rock and rollers who are obviously doing hard drugs had their homes raided? Probably not. I mean, Little was it Little Richard? No, it's a guy we talk about in a little bit, I think, who was got in trouble for like cocaine and had to... But that was like 80s, maybe. I like, like, come on, <laughs> come, I, I'm yeah. Come on, I'm really calling a race card on that one. Yeah. That's like, whoa, come on. Probably, because I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis was doing. Elvis was popping pills every chance he got. Jerry Lee Lewis like, always that's had. That's just a known thing. Is that these yeah. guys are like doing drugs? There was like stories that people were saying you could just shake Jerry Lee Lewis and pills would just rain out of him because like he just always had some everywhere am i missing something like are other people like just getting drug charges no like come on (laughs) come on yeah there's also a story about i know i've mentioned jerry lee lewis a lot but i mentioned jerry lee lewis a lot because i just read a biography (laughs) in that biography there's a story like jerry lee lewis had a massive ego and he did not want he wanted to close every show because he thought he earn the right to close every show because his on stage stuff like on stage he was a force he was like he was a punk rocker so like his sets shut down the place and no like 
Johnny Cash refused to play after him. They went on a tour together, and Johnny played after him once, and he was like, never again. I'm not ever Sounds following Sounds like it him. works for both parties. Yeah, then. <laughs> but then one time Jerry Lee was on the same bill as Chuck Berry, and they like had a massive standoff about like who's going to play last. Oh my goodness. It was an Alan Freed concert. And Alan was like, It's in Chuck's contract, he plays last. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. And then they like got into so many arguments and apparently like Jerry Lee decided to light his piano on fire on stage and just like do all this stuff to make it so much harder. He started like What an asshole. He started just playing Chuck's songs. So Chuck Berry what had an like, asshole. <laughs> Chuck what? Berry had to like come out and like try and play like he grabbed a guitar and started playing Chuck's songs on guitar. Oh so my Chuck Berry came God. out and tried to keep up on the piano, but he just couldn't because he wasn't good at piano. What the hell? And then there's also the story of like because of that, like him and Jerry Lee had a big rivalry and like confrontations. Uh, yeah. And Jerry Lee's dad one time chased Chuck Berry out of a hotel claiming he was going to kill him and he had a gun with him. And Alan Freed was just like so scared and like, what's going to happen? This is going to be a huge scandal. And like, no one really knows what happened that night. But the next morning, Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee's dad were just having breakfast together, just hanging out. What? <laughs> <laughs> what it was crazy times in the music industry at this point what the hell <laughs> it was yeah that was a very i very much recommend that jerry lee lewis biography it was very fascinating what i can't i what an asshole i can't <laughs> all right anyway so chuck berry despite all of that played a large part in influencing both the music and the attitude associated with rock and rollers he refined and developed the R&B sound, incorporating elements of hillbilly music and wrote lyrics targeted to teenage culture, culture by using graphic and humorous descriptions of teen dances, fast cars, high school life, and consumer culture. One critic said that Chuck invented rock as, quote, a music of teenage wishes fulfilled in good times, even with cops in pursuit, end quote. It's, lar it's largely said that he had three major influences on rock. An irresistible swagger for a frontman, the guitar solo as the driving melody, and songwriting as storytelling. Those are the three big things he brought to rock, which, like, what an icon. is rock. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the most important and well-known artists of all time have covered his songs, including Elvis, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, The Beach Boys, The Grateful Dead, Buddy Holly, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie, the Yardbirds, Brian Adams, ACDC, The Kinks, and Electric Light Orchestra. Just to name a Love. few. <laughs> There's a lot more. Those are the ones that I figured you would know. In 2017, a few months after his death, Time Magazine said, quote, There was no one like Elvis, but there was definitely no one like Chuck Berry. Like, that was Elvis's big thing. There's no one like Elvis. So they were like, yeah, but Chuck Berry, though. Yeah. A journalist in the New York Times stated that in 300 years, Chuck will be remembered as the musician who most closely captured the essence of rock and roll. Totally. I love it. Leonard Cohen, who is the singer who wrote the song Hallelujah, said, quote, all of us are footnotes to the words of Chuck Berry. So like he's even at the time where he was like in the end of the 50s, Chuck Berry like was rock and roll. Like all of the other people were like. Have you heard this guy? Like, have you heard the songs this guy's making? This, these are crazy. How like, he, he was an icon. So was was the penis song the only number one hit? <laughs> yep. What? I think so. 
No. Well, I mean, he might have had a few more like after his death or like when the uh like when like the Beatles started covering him or whatever. But I think that might have been Yep, it's the only number one Billboard no. Hot 100 single that he ever no. had. Which is funny. Like, he has so many good songs. I, don't, I guess we didn't play it, but like, uh, Johnny B. Good is yeah. an amazing song. I love that song. Yeah. I think that's the one that's Run Run Rudolph. Maybe not. Yes. Because you played it last week. Yeah. Slash two weeks ago. Well, here, we'll just end on that. Yeah, we'll just pull that up and we'll play it as we end. Not by various artists. I want it by Chuck Berry. Here we go. Here's Johnny Vigo. So what are your thoughts on Chuck as we end, as we close out? I'm listening to the This Is Chuck Berry playlist tomorrow. <laughs> if not tonight, but probably tomorrow. And I'm very intrigued to listen to his 2017 album. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I think this is probably my favorite song he ever did. Oh, I love Maybelline, though. Well, to next week, or whenever, whenever we get around to it, we're going to talk about something you're going to like less. Elvis. Yep. We're All doing right. a bonus episode on Elvis, and then we're kind of like pausing with rock for a bit. And we're going to cover a couple more genres that were like propping up in the 50s. We're going to cover soul music. We're going to cover bluegrass, unfortunately. I like bluegrass. I don't. I know. <laughs> and then we're going to do a little little mini run on the Rat Pack, Yay. which means we're also going to have an episode on people who aren't musicians because there were two members of the Rat Pack who were, like, movie people. So we're going to have to talk about them for one episode. That sounds awesome. Yep. All right. Well, that's what's coming up, so stay I tuned. I am not looking forward to discussing how my faves are problematic. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like you already kind of know Frank's problems. He's just a very hothead anger issues. <laughs> well, thanks for listening as we talked about rock. Join us for all the other stuff we got coming up. It's going to be fun. All right. We're going to go enjoy Shark Hootie. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Bye.